love telling you about my friends at Steel. That's S-T-I-H-L, Steel Power Tools. And you'll find a dealer near you because there is a dealer near you and you have over 10,000 in the country. It's S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, or go to Steel, S-T-I-H-L, USA.com. To say that they have a plethora, I love that word, plethora, of products would be a grand understatement. They have everything you need to help you get projects done around the house, outside the house, in the forest near you. Just go check out their stuff. They're outstanding. That's why people like you and I use them, and it's why the pros use them. Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. And they're going to be down, by the way, uh, at the convention center next week when there's a, a big outdoor convention. So you'll want to uh, get down there if you have a few uh, minutes. Boyer's Coffee being brewed since 1965 in our beautiful state. And their coffee's outstanding. I have it every morning and uh, usually follow up with a second cup. I've been drinking Boyer's Coffee for several years. Uh, many of you have been uh, drinking Boyer's Coffee uh, perhaps since their inception back in 1965. It is smooth. They're the Rocky Mountain Roasters. And if you go to their website, boyerscoffee.com, you're going to see a lot of deals right now because Valentine's Day is around the corner, and you're going to see a number of their uh, wonderful different flavors and different products as well. So I encourage you to do that. Have it delivered to your house, or you can go to your local grocery store. I like the uh, door-to-door service personally. That's BoyersCoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Wyoming Cowboys head football coach Craig Bull on his Cowboy Tough Wyoming Cowboys, the state of college football, and of course, his former quarterback, Josh Allen. When he pulls that ball down, I mean, he's going to take off and he's got an S on his chest. When it's fourth down or he's got to throw a dart in the back of the end zone, Josh Allen is money. But I was on the couch having a slice of pizza with my my wife and said, do not count Josh Allen out. I was jumping up and down. I felt like a a proud father. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, folks. Show number 133. How's everybody doing adjusting to 2022 as we move into uh, late January? Well, well, well. Before we get to football and uh, Coach Craig Bowl of Wyoming uh, in a little bit, what's hot brought to you by Boyers? You know what's hot? The Hall of Fame voting was tabulated and divulged to the public earlier in the week. And congratulations to Big Poppy. David Ortiz is the only member of the class, at least voted in, in 2022. He's deserving. He got just enough, I guess so, about 77% or so, to get himself into the Hall of Fame. Again, you need 75%. And he gets in on the first ballot. I want to address a couple of things with the Hall of Fame voting. First of all, in particular, every once in a while I've read or heard people say, well, a DH. Hold on a second. Now, he's the second full-time DH because Edgar Martinez finally got in uh, in the last couple of years, who was a full-time DH, any great one naturally, that's how you get into the Hall of Fame, uh, with the Seattle Mariners. Last time I checked, DH was a position in the American League, soon to be coming to National League ballparks as well. It's a position. This argument that oh, they don't play defense, therefore they should be eliminated from consideration, is stupid. It is a position. And I will make an analogy to football. People say, how can a punter get in? Well, if you're the best punter over a long period of time, that's a position. It changes field position. You want to have a good punter. You don't like when you have to use your punter, but if you Ask him on 4th and 12 to punt the football to the opponent. You want him to be good at it. That's why Ray Guy is in Canton. Kickers. You want a good one to win the game, right? Kick that 52-yarder to win a game. Get you into overtime. If you're great at your position, you deserve to be celebrated as such. You can't diminish 
a position, you have to have a kicker, you have to have a punter. Well, guess what? In the American League, for 50 years now, you have to have a DH. And in the case of David Ortiz, he was as good as we've seen. And in the postseason in particular, he was better than everybody we've seen, regardless of position. So David Ortiz deserves to get in. Now on to the more difficult question or questions concerning three players, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling. They all fell short, all in their final year of eligibility by the voters who are the Baseball Writers of America Association, right? That's the voting body. Now, they will have a chance to get in through the Veterans Committee, in in fact, later on this year. Their candidacy, as we all know, has always been complicated because in the case of Bonds and Clemens, their association with the PED period of baseball, mid-90s into the first part of the 21st century. In the case of Kurt Schilling, he has said many unsavory things for many or even most people that has tarnished his candidacy. Let's be clear. Cooperstown, a place that I adore. It's a little hamlet in the Catskills in upstate New York. It is an idyllic, beautiful town on a lake that it looks like a Norman Rockwell painting. And within that town is the Baseball Hall of Fame. Keepers of all things baseball, chronicling the history of a sport that got its start in the latter third of the 19th century. And yes, it celebrates all of the great players as well as giving you the history of the game. And the history, like any history of anything, is not always clean. It's not always pretty. But if we're going to talk about the greatest players to ever play the game, and you're going to have a museum that tells that story And you don't have Barry Bonds in there, who is the greatest hitter I've ever seen. And I'll be 59 in the spring. And not only did I play baseball and watch baseball growing up, I obviously watch baseball for a living. That doesn't make me any smarter than any of you. I'm not suggesting as such. But I do have access as part of my job, the great privilege of my job, to talk baseball with guys who've played at a at the highest level, and oftentimes for a long period of time. And every player that I've ever broached the subject, every coach, every manager that I've ever broached the subject, and there have been numerous conversations through the years about one Barry Bonds, there's never a hesitation, there's never equivocation about the fact that he's the best they've ever seen at impacting a baseball, period. And Prior to his alleged involvement in PEDs, he had already hit nearly 500 home runs, had two rooms full of MVP trophies, had over 1,400 ribbies. He was already a Hall of Famer. Same thing for Roger Clemens. He has seven Cy Young Awards. Seven! He won 300, I think it was 353 games. You kidding me? Kurt Schilling, great postseason pitcher, impeccable command. I'll tell you a story about, about Kurt Schilling. It, this is not a something that uh, he would be proud of, I'm sure. But I remember leaning against a cage, watching batting practice, and the Rockies were taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks, and a person who I shall not mention their name, who was a former teammate and now was working in baseball, after his career was over, but a former teammate of Kurt Schilling, when Schilling walked by out of earshot, he said to me unsolicited, we weren't even talking about Kurt Schilling, and this goes back many years ago, obviously, when Schilling was playing. He said, there goes the biggest jackass I've ever met in my life. And he qualified it by saying, and I'm not just talking about in baseball. This was a former teammate. 
He just said that to me, as I said, unsolicited. We weren't talking about Kurt Schilling. He wasn't even in, he just happened to walk by. So the point of why I'm expressing that is Kurt Schilling has his detractors. And I understand him because I've been offended by some of the things that he has uttered. But it ain't about that. It's about his performance as a player. Kurt Schilling probably put together a Hall of Fame career. There's no doubt Clemens did, and there's certainly no doubt that Bonds did. It's a, it's a museum. And I have no problem with putting an asterisk next to a player or on their plaque. And I thought Jason Stark did a marvelous job in a piece he wrote in The Athletic a few days ago talking about how he would handle the inclusion of those guys in the hall. And he said, put it on their plaque. You know, when you when you write down all of their accolades on the plaque and, and you enumerate, you know, for Bonds, he had 73 home runs in a season and he had an on-base percentage over a period of time over, over 500, which is just ludicrous, and the all-time walk leader, and, and he got walked with the bases loaded. I mean, you could list forever, actually, all of his accomplishments, but you can also put in there he was associated with performance-enhancing drugs um, in this period of time. You can do the same damn thing with Roger Clemens because you are talking about the history of the game and you're giving people, you know, many years from now, an idea of who that player was. Part of the issue, as we all understand, is we live in the information age and the social media age. Can you imagine going back to the 40s or 50s if there was the scrutiny or the awareness of what many great players in the you know the uh, the aughts and the teens I'm talking about the 1900s and the 20s and the 30s of, of maybe who they were we may want to you know cover our eyes or what they partook in we know there were avowed racists we know other things I suppose tangentially about some of the guys that have been enshrined in the Hall of Fame. It's not it's not necessarily about Hall of Fame character, and I'm not promoting cheating. I don't want this to get lost in there. Not about cheating. I don't know what everyone did. And if you look back prior to this with the amphetamines which were universally used in baseball, how many guys were able to post up night after night when normally they'd have to take a couple days off or how many guys we're able to still have, you know, great focus and energy, you know, to produce that key hit in the eighth inning when, when maybe it wouldn't have worked out that way had they not had something to lean on that was artificial and, and you know, not allowed. So I, I, I just have a problem, especially when it comes to Bonds and Clemens in particular. And I probably include, you know, include Gary Sheffield uh, in that group. I mean, Sammy Sosa. I mean, their numbers are so extraordinary. I don't think there's any doubt when we don't know the number of people that we're using that they were great and that they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame with an explanation. I'm not just turning a blind eye to a period of time. I suppose one of the ironies for baseball is that they allowed this to take place or took advantage of it in the aftermath of losing the 94 season and a good portion of the 95 season. And they needed to have some feel-good stories about baseball. They needed to re-engage some fans that had given them the bird, understandably so. And they had the great home run chase between McGuire and Sosa, two guys who have been linked to performance-enhancing drugs. So they took advantage of it to rekindle interest in the sport, profitability in the sport, and now you're going to ban them? It doesn't make sense. And same thing, you, know, you want people, I'm, I'm sure, thinking right now who are listening to this podcast, well, what about Pete Rose? Yeah, Pete Rose did a lot of unsavory things and, and lied about it and continued to lie about it and lied about some of the lies. But he's the all-time hits leader. Had over 4,000 damn hits. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. And you can explain his story as part of 
the beautiful museum that sits in Cooperstown. Moving on in the Hall of Fame conversation to a guy I know that you're holding in uh, high regard and great interest, their candidacy, and that is 17, Todd Helton. He got 52%. He's up about 7%. And he is trending clearly in the right direction. I mean, he has another six years. And he's going to get in. He's going to get in. You've heard me talk about this before. When he first retired, I didn't think there was a way in the world he was going to get in. I thought he was deserving. I, I know what I saw. You know what you saw. You saw a Hall of Fame player. But the whole Coors Field narrative, which I'm not going to go down that path for the eight millionth time, but they're looking at it differently. They're understanding baseball at altitude, how it takes away from performance on the road. Do you know, quick road thing about Todd Helton. He had an 855 road OPS in his career. It's higher than a number of Hall of Famers' career OPS, home and road. Al Kaline, Reggie Jackson. I mean, some, some great, great names. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to get in. And and I'm not, I don't think he'll get in next year because that's a pretty big jump. But it, it, may, it may be. It may be that soon because the aforementioned Clemens and Bonds and Schilling come off the ballot. And I saw an interesting piece that said that the average Baseball Writers of Association voter voted for at least seven players this year. Now, you can vote to up to 10, which means they're gonna, they want to vote. They want, they want players in the Hall of Fame, though sometimes it doesn't feel that way overall. Th- this voting body, and there's been some turnover, has understood Coors Field better. They want people in the Hall of Fame. Helton at 52% on a year where you still had these prominent guys associated with PEDs. And next year, the biggest name that comes aboard is Carlos Beltran, who you know is associated obviously with the cheating scandal with the Houston uh, Astros in, in 2017. Marvelous career, marvelous postseason career. But all of a sudden, Todd Helton's stature on that ballot next year is going to raise in prominence that much more, along with a guy like Scott Rowland, who's above 60% now. So, so Rowland very much uh, could be a Hall of Famer next year, and Todd Helton's going to get real close if he doesn't get in. It's going to happen for Helton. And so that's, uh, that's some of the great news that came out of uh, the voting from this week. David Ortiz, the only one uh, voted in. One other thing I want to address, every once in a while, people say, well, do you have a vote? I don't have a vote because I'm not a member, uh, I'm not a writer. I'm not a member of the Baseball Writers Association. I believe, and you've heard a lot of players say this, that it should be a combined electorate of the Baseball Writers of former players, maybe it's players that got 10 years in the big leagues. I mean, you you have to whittle it down. There's been well over 20,000 players all time. And I also believe, selfishly so you may say, but baseball broadcasters should have a vote. There are a number of writers that don't cover the sport on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes they're columnists. Sometimes they moved on to other beats for for the institution that they write for. In the case of baseball broadcasters, most of us are doing it every single day, and you have to watch every single pitch because you're calling every single pitch. So I would like to see a more expanded electorate that includes players, guys that play the game, that includes broadcasters who are watching the game over a period of time, uh, night to night, in addition uh, to the current voting body. Selfish, you may say, perhaps, uh, but... I don't think there's anything wrong with expanding the electorate. I think, by and large, uh, the writers have done a very good job of making it extremely exclusive and not making it the hall of very good, but making it the hall of great. And just in summation, you cannot question the greatness of Bonds, the greatness of Clemens in particular. They may not be warm and fuzzy characters, but at the end of the day, It's a museum that is chronicling the great history of this wonderful sport. All right. On to football now. Last football weekend from the NFL standpoint, 
was splendid. One of the great weekends it's been called in the history of playoff football in the National Football League. I'm not going to argue. Um, there's, there's been great weekends in the past. We all love football, right? Uh, it, there were surprises. I, I, for one, did not see Aaron Rodgers losing. The special teams for the Packers, not so special. And so now everybody who uh, bleeds orange wondering, hey, could this be the opening for the Broncos? Aaron Rodgers is not going to, he's on record, as, and he's now said it a couple times in the aftermath of the Packers' loss, he, he's not going to drag this thing out. So he's going to let the Packers know, does he want to come back? Does he want to move on, perhaps, to another organization? He's going to win another MVP award. He's going to be the back-to-back MVP. I'm sure that based on that, and also based on the fact that he's been to one Super Bowl, and he thought perhaps he was going again this year, that he'll keep on playing. It's what he does. It's what he loves. I'm also of the belief, and I may be completely wrong on this, that he ends up back in in Green Bay. They work it out. I know that they are way over the cap. I know that his very close friend and the guy there that, that he's attached to the hip at on the field, Devontae Adams, is a free agent. But if they tag him and keep him in the fold and an organization that he's repaired, you know, they've repaired those relationships pretty clearly, that if they can build you know, another really good team around him. I think for great athletes, for all-time athletes, which clearly Aaron Rodgers is, there is something to playing for one team. And I know Peyton Manning, for all those great years in Indy, ended up having a great run here in our town. And guys do move on. Tom Brady, most natural example of that. But there's also something to be said for Todd Helton, who spent 17 years you know, in one city and will always be associated with that city and with that team. We'll see how it plays out. It's going to be interesting. Tom Brady did Tom Brady things down 27 to three. I know everybody was thinking in the Super Bowl when it was 28 to three against the Falcons. and They came back and won. I didn't think there was any way in the world based on how they were playing, how limited his resources were at the skill spots that they were coming back. And then next thing you know, it's 27, 27, uh, except Tampa somehow um, forgot to play defense, ended up losing that uh, that football game. That was um, that was amazing. I mean, how, do you, how do you not cover Cooper Cup? I mean, how does he get that open? Crazy. Good game, though. How about Joe Burrow? Sacked nine times by Tennessee, and they win. Love that kid's moxie. We're seeing that, that next class, right, of quarterbacks. When we talk about Brady and Rodgers, they will not play forever. We know that, right? It may seem like that, but they're not going to play forever. But that next class starting to look pretty sexy. And that takes us to one of the great football games I've ever seen, regular season or postseason. And that was that Broadway spectacular show we saw on Sunday evening. Buffalo led by Josh Allen out of the University of Wyoming. We're going to talk to Craig Bowl about him quite a bit here in a couple of moments. And Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes who's the, yeah, I don't even want to call him the next great one. He, he's already great. He's now going to play in his fourth straight home AFC championship game. He's the face of the league, the new face of the league. You, can, I wrote this on Twitter last week about Josh Allen when they won their first playoff game and they, when they beat up Bill Belichick's Patriots. I said, you can't play the quarterback position any better than Josh Allen just played it. Well, guess what? You can't play the quarter. He, he did better. You can't play the quarterback position better than he played against Kansas City. And from Mahomes' standpoint, you can't play the position better than he played it. They were unbelievable. They were remarkably good. And they're the modern-day quarterback. It's not just this great efficiency and accuracy, which we've seen for so long with Tom Brady, which we, see, which we saw years ago with Joe Montana. They run the football both led their teams, or in the case of Allen, led their team in rushing, you know, 60-plus yards. Designed runs, not just mad scrambles. We saw mad scrambles by both of them to elude rushes and then make plays. I was watching the game 
with my youngest son, Gabe. And I will allow that, though I didn't have a dog in the hunt, and I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. I mean, how can you not love this kid? He's, he's you know, he's such a great player. He's a great-looking kid. Uh, he, he handles himself beautifully. And... But I'm pulling for Josh Allen because I did some of his games when he was at Wyoming. Um, you know, Wyoming's right up the road. I have great respect for Coach Bull and, and the in the Cowboys program. I said, you know, I'm pulling for Buffalo. I'm an, I'm a native New Yorker. That's Western New York. It might as well be Ohio. But still, I'm pulling for Buffalo. And when Josh Allen on fourth and thirteen throws that touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter, my my youngest son and I, Gabe, jumped out of our chairs and started bear hugging unsolicited, just because the sheer greatness of it. And then a few minutes later, when he basically did it again, now it takes us to to Mahomes winning the game in overtime. That whole overtime debate. Yes, I believe both teams need to touch the football in overtime. I have felt that way for a long period of time. And I know there's some, not many, but some who believe, well, you know, you just got to play defense and hold them to, you know, either not scoring or a field goal and you'll get the football. I, I don't buy that. I still believe that both teams need to touch the football in overtime. But the game shouldn't have gotten to overtime from Buffalo's standpoint. When they have 13 seconds left, first of all, kick the ball hard on the ground where you're going to get it deep enough and they're going to have to field it and run a little bit or or put any you're going to you're going to use up something and if you do it properly they're going to be backed up and there's going to be 11 seconds left if it really goes well for you they may have only one play which at that point in time is either going to be a hail mary which you probably as great an arm as mahomes have you you probably couldn't get it to the end zone from where the ball would be situated and it would be some sort of razzle dazzle keep lateraling uh you know the, the ball and hopefully you get the stanford you know band play right it shouldn't have happened and then once they're snapping the ball and they had two plays why are you even rushing it's not like mahomes can sit back there all day he's got to get rid of the football quickly you do things situationally in particular in football and basketball in practice you want to practice every potential scenario. So I know it's not commonplace to drop nine or ten players into coverage. Every DB that you have should have been on the field. And then every linebacker and linebackers drop off in coverage should have been on the field. You would have 11 between the two position groups if you are Buffalo. There's, no, there's literally no need to. You literally could drop 11. There's no way they should have been able to travel, what was it, 35-plus yards in two plays in, in less than 13 seconds, call timeout, and kick, you know, still a lengthy field goal, but not a 60-plus yarder. It was 48-yarder, 48 or 49, I can't remember. That should not have happened. Not good on, on Leslie Frazier, the veteran defensive coordinator and former head coach. He's a candidate, uh, again, for head coaching spots. I'm not saying that it should eliminate his candidacy, but that was not well done. We always blame coaches for things not well done and not well executed by the players on the field. But they rushed four. That made no sense to me. Remarkable weekend, though. Remarkable weekend. A whole lot of fun witnessing that. Okay, on to our interview of the week brought to you by Ideal Home Loans. Craig Bull has an extensive resume, former player at Nebraska, longtime member of Tom Osborne's staff there. He won a couple of national championships as a position coach. I believe he was a linebacker coach uh, when they won in 95 and 97. And then he moved on to North Dakota State. And he's the one that started that great, great run that is still uh, going on with North Dakota State and how they've dominated FCS football. And then uh, up north to uh, Wyoming. And next year will be his ninth year up there. He's had a lot of success. They're coming off a bowl victory in the uh, Idaho Potato Bowl over uh, Kent State. And oh yes, he recruited and coached one Josh Allen in college. So here is the head football coach at the University of Wyoming, our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, Craig Bold. Well, Coach, uh, I've always enjoyed sitting down with you when, uh, when we've had the opportunity to call a Wyoming football game. But I, I look way back and say, you're, you're an I-80 guy, I guess, because you grew up in Lincoln, you played at Lincoln, you coached in Lincoln, you had a number of other stops, and now you just moved uh, uh, very successfully to the west uh, on I-80. So you got, you got all the weather covered, don't you? 
Well, I certainly do. One thing I didn't know, though, I I had moved from Fargo, and I looked on the map, and I said, well, you know, it's about 500 miles south that Laramie's going to have this great climate change compared to the last place I was at. And lo and behold, I, I, I was remiss. I didn't understand that we're sitting between two mountain ranges, so sometimes we get some snow in May, and I certainly did not anticipate that. But it's been a great fit. Love the Cowboys and, and love the University of Wyoming. It, it truly, uh, one of the notes I wrote down, and I, I may have mentioned this, uh, I'm sure I've said this on the air, there are certain fits with coaches and schools that I look at as pretty close to perfect. And um, I say it not to embarrass you, but I, I look at your background. I, I, I know you a little bit and how you like to coach and the toughness that that you brought to a tough state and a tough climate, and I think it's a perfect fit. Well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, when the first time I, I sat down and talked with Tom Berman, our athletic director, I said, okay, Tom, what's your vision? And he, you know, Wyoming's kind of fallen off the mark. Uh, he looked at me straight in the eye and said, we want to play cowboy tough football. And I said, okay, Tom, that's that's great to say. A lot of people say that, but that's just not something that you could put on the a back of a T-shirt. You got to live it every day, and uh, sometimes that goes counterculture to some of the trends nationally. But the people in our state have really appreciated the style of play that we have. Uh, we're physical. Uh, we play hard nose on both sides of the football. It's not that we are not going to throw the football. We, you know, saw one of our quarterbacks just have one of the greatest games I think I've seen in the NFL. But we're going to stay true to our roots, Drew. That, that we need to stay cowboy tough. Well, it's always been that way. You've been a defensive guy, um, and I appreciate it because I grew up in New York, and I've been a lifelong New York Giant fan. Uh, Our high school football program, we came from a really successful high school program, and it was, you know, run and play physical defense. And and really, you know, all the things that you preach. So I've I've always appreciated what you do and it works man and you and one of the things i want to lead you to you told me this on a couple of occasions i said the natural question hey how tough is it to recruit up in wyoming and you said the the opposite of what most people think you said it's easier because you, you can you can distinguish kids pretty quickly that can handle laramie and what you want there's no doubt about it you know we feel like we've got a great institution there's no distractions it's a safe place Guys are coming there to get a meaningful degree and have an opportunity to win a Mountain West Conference championship. And so we've developed great facilities. Uh, one of the reasons why we're putting out more and more NFL players is because we've found that guy that really wants to be great, doesn't want to have the distractions uh, that some of these other schools have, and really hone their skills. They walk across that stage with a, with a degree, and uh, they're having an opportunity to play in the NFL as well. It's interesting because, you know, facilities are so important. It's an arms race a lot of times. And, and for those that have never been to Laramie and don't realize, your, your facilities don't take a backseat to, to any school virtually anywhere. There's no question about it. When I first was introduced as a head football coach, I, I met with the stakeholders of our state. And, uh, you know, our governor at that time, Governor Meade, looked at me and said, Coach, when the Cowboys win, the people feel good. We're tired of losing. Now, tell me what you need. And so between uh, the legislative branch, uh, uh, the, the foundation, and Tom Berman did a great job. We raised the funds. And beyond having all the fancy bells and whistles, I mean, you're talking about an unbelievable weight room, a, uh, a full training table with an executive chef on how to really build uh, these student athletes, and then a great academic area. So you're right; our, our facilities take a backseat to no one, and that has allowed us, Drew, to develop these guys. You have that. You have that indoor hill. Uh, that's how I describe it. Near a sand pit, also. And um, you're an old DB. Um, have you decided to uh, track up that hill at some point in your own workouts? No, I haven't. I'm 63. I know who I am, so I take the steps up, Drew. <laughs> that's a that's a prudent decision, I guess, right? Yeah, right. Good deal. Well, one of the areas I want to go before we come back and talk about that quarterback for the Bills, who's rather talented, uh, 
help me out with something um, you started. North Dakota State, you helped transition them from a D2 school, and I believe the year before you arrived, they went 2-8. and eight. And since 2011, and you were there 11, 12, and 13 as well, three straight national championships in your final three years in Fargo, they've won nine FCS national championships. They're 149 and 12 since 2011. Can you explain that, please? I, I, I don't get that. Well, you know what? I can, I can point to my mentor, Tom Osborne. Um, many of you know in this city, you know, of course, we had the great games against CU when I was at Nebraska. And what people don't realize, Coach's last several years, he went 60-3. and three. And uh, during that time, uh, the, the program was modeled on consistency. And what people also don't realize, that was like 25 years in the making. You know, during that time, Drew, we'd play in the Big 8, and then we'd get beat by Oklahoma and go play in a bowl game. And, but Coach Osborne never, never wavered from some of his principles, what he believed in, how to practice, what type of players, what type of system to have. And we took that blueprint and we put that up in Fargo. Uh, what people don't realize, it was the eighth year that we won our first national championship up there. And so uh, that program uh, is is in great shape, um, and they know who they are. And it was interesting, Drew, because several years ago we had a student trainer, or not a student trainer, but we had a trainer that had come from uh, the University of Alabama and worked for Coach Saban. And people don't realize Coach Osborne went down and spent time with Coach Saban. And I asked him, I said, so what was it like? He goes, you guys are doing the same things that they're doing in Alabama. Now, we don't have Bama's players right now, but there's a formula that you have to live through. I didn't think of it. I pull out a drawer, and it says Osborne 101. That's who taught me. <laughs> what, what other things about Dr. Tom were so special and unique that allowed him not only to have the success, but he seemed to, and I did a number of his games when he was still there, and, and it was just such an even keel demeanor. Was he always that way, Coach? Oh, I don't know if I would say always that way, but he probably was much more even keel than most people that I've ever been around, certainly most coaches. He's very passionate, unbelievably intelligent. His football IQ, he's wickedly smart. But I think there's two things, Drew, that uh, one really separated. He was a, a man. Of, he is a man of great humility, great humility. And then the other thing he was able to do was uh, take complicated things and make them simple, and being able to relate that to the players. And so when you're able to do that, and then begin to get to know the players and, and reach in and grab a hold of their heart and grab their soul, that's what made him so special. Ken, in this landscape, and we're going to get into it in a little bit, we'll get more into where college football is and perhaps where it's going uh, in a bit, but can Nebraska, which I know you coach at Wyoming, but Nebraska is still close to your heart, can they get back to where when you were coaching there, when you were playing there, when they were national title contenders seemingly every year? Well, that's a million-dollar question, and you know Scott Frost was our quarterback in 97, and is the right guy for the job. Uh, certainly the landscape of college football has changed. Um, you know, some of the models that I think are going to have uh, an impact here with NIL and one-time transfers, um, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to affect Nebraska. We were we were built on uh, a walk-on program that could develop players. We were built on having systems. We were built on being physical and tough. And those things took time. And then today's world of you're on the clock as a head coach and you've got to win and you've got to win now, I'm in hopes that those things can still hold true. I have my doubts, though, Drew. Yeah, it's, um, it, you know, we were talking earlier before we started recording about the landscape uh, of college football. You were recently, and I congratulate you in the same breath that I let people know you're the, you're the new president of the AFCA, American Football Coaches Association. So congrats on that. And I don't know if there's a, a more interesting or more challenging time, uh, Coach, to be the president of that organization. Well, I, I had an opportunity to fly to Indy last week in the Football Oversight 
committee is meeting, a grouping of really good people. Uh, they're trying to shepherd this uh, challenging path. But I looked them all in the eye, and I said, I've coached 39 years at all the levels, uh, at every level from Division two up to the you know highest level uh, in college football. And I, there is not more of a challenging time. And I challenge the group that they need to be at the very best right now. We're looking for leadership. We're looking for some direction. We're looking for some wisdom. And um, we've got tough decisions to make. College football has never been more popular, but I don't think we've been at more of a challenging time. Do you see this breaking down further from from where we are with FBS and FCS and and then beyond with you know when when you talk about Alabama and Georgia and you know there's a few other schools naturally you can throw in that mix it seems as if with all due respect to everyone else they've separated themselves are they catchable in this environment well, it was interesting because I, I really, and I know Coach Saban and appreciate when he speaks, he's got some wisdom. And he said, you know, he's really concerned that the direction we're going is going to be more of a separation from the have and have-nots. I think cooler heads will, will prevail sooner or later. I do believe this, Drew. When you talk, you hear the word power five. Um, you know, I don't, I don't buy into this power five conference so much. I believe there are power programs. Certainly the SEC right now has separated themselves, but if you look at their bowl game wins, um, you know, there's a there's an upper echelon, but, you know, some of the other uh, teams in the SEC, you know, certainly they're in the SEC, but we beat Missouri a couple years ago, and you've seen some of these other matchups. So I believe there's power programs. I think Coach Saban and Kirby Smart have found a formula that maybe a lot of other people don't know. Uh, certainly L- LSU is kind of wavered up and down, uh, but I, I think that there's some really good men that are leading college football. I don't think there will be a separation, however, of the, quote, autonomy five and the group of five. I think you may see some legislative agendas. I think you sh- you're going to see a separation from some of the challenges that FBS football are being confronted with, and I think you will see a – and there, there's a constitutional committee right now looking at saying – Okay, right now with what's going on with FBS football, maybe we should look at some of the recruiting calendars, some of the rules, some of the agendas that may be different than some of the other levels that are being confronted with. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I do think that's the direction things are headed. But I'm convinced you're not going to see a separation of, uh, you know, the Big 12 and the SEC and the Pac-12. You're going to see – that 12 or the 10 commissioners get together in a room, and I'm in hopes that there's some wisdom that we look and say, what do we got to do in a practical manner to move FBS football forward? Well, I, I will pose the same question that, that everyone in your business and, and fans who follow college football closely are asking. What of the portal what will it look like moving forward? You lost some really talented kids to the portal. You've also gained some talented kids from from other major college programs. Uh, you know, it used to be Craig, if you had a uh, you know a kid who started as a redshirt freshman or a sophomore, you could gladly say, "All right, you know, we got that young man for another two or three years at the very least." And now you can't, you don't know year to year what you have. Well, there's no question about that, that the, the lay of the land has changed now. However, I will say the makeup of your roster uh, has, a, has a component. We, we have a, a player who starts for the Cincinnati Bengals. I was on the phone uh, with their head coach yesterday, and he's convinced that Logan's going to play in the Pro Bowl. He's a guy that, you know what, I don't care who would have talked to him. He wasn't going to leave the University of Wyoming. Uh, also, Chad Muma from the Denver area, I think, is going to be a top 60 pick. His dad played for UW. His grandpa played for UW. You know what? He's either going to go in the NFL or he's, he's going to get his degree. That model won't change. Now, what will change is maybe some of the other guys that, for us, uh, were lightly recruited, that we developed, that now look and say, okay, we have a we have an NIL deal out here that's going to pay you a half million dollars. I think that's going to have an impact. And so college football coaches will adjust. I'm adjusting. But what we cannot waver from, Drew, is 
the founding principles of playing cowboy tough. You got to want to be in Laramie. You got to really embrace our fans' passion, and then we're going to let the ships fall where they may. Speaking of lightly recruited, take me back to the first time you set eyes and your staff had a discussion about Josh Allen. And correct me if I'm wrong, Coach, it was when he was already at junior college. Because coming out of high school, I don't believe anyone really offered him. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. Uh, you know, he went to Reedley uh, Junior College, which is uh, outside, about a half hour outside of Fireball. Fireball is a, a farm ag community, about a half hour outside of Fresno. He would have given his left leg to play for the Fresno Bulldogs. And uh, I talked to him again and again. They they didn't feel like he was talented enough. He went to Reedley. That's when I had first gotten to Wyoming. I'd been there one year. We were looking at uh, getting a pro-style quarterback. We had left Carson Wentz at NDSU. Uh, we watched the tape. Brent Vegan, who's now the head coach at Montana State, said, Coach, you need to take a look at this guy. We saw that he was a multi-sport player out of high school, was a pitcher. His, his trademark song was the ring of fire when he came out and took the mound, uh, played basketball, ultra-competitive. We saw that ability, and quite frankly, we said, we're shocked nobody else is recruiting this guy. And so I hopped on the state plane, went out to uh, Fireball, uh, went over to Mom and Dad's farm, sat across a strapping young man that was eager, that wanted to have an opportunity, wanted to have an opportunity to have somebody to believe in him. And the stars aligned right, and the rest is history. More with Craig Bowl, the head football coach at the University of Wyoming, in a moment. But uh, first this for... My buddy Brent Ivinson and his outstanding company, Ideal Home Loans. If you're purchasing a new house, if you're refinancing, if you're not sure what to do, you got to give them a call at 303-867-7000. You know the market has changed, and uh, it's always changing, and so you may have many questions. Are you in the best product long-term for your home? You're purchasing a second home. What to do? Those are questions that they answer on a daily basis. They have a marvelous reputation that's been built over 20 years in our market. They're also down in Arizona as well. It's 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Now back to more with Craig Bull. Is his, and, and this is hard because I, I had the, pleasure of watching him play calling a number of your games when he was there and he's a he's a freaky athlete obviously he's big and strong is his best attribute as crazy as this may sound his just sheer competitiveness coach without question uh there's lots of guys that are not lots but there's several guys that are 6'5 240 pounds and can run like the wind when he came he, he wasn't 6'5". He was 6'4", a little bit fleshy. He was 205 pounds. So he got in that weight room. He, he took advantage of our facilities. But what people don't know um, is his ultra-competitive nature. When when the NFL draft was coming out that year, there were there were four prime quarterbacks, Drew. There was Baker Mayfield. Um, there was Sam Darnold. Uh, there was Josh and Lamar Jackson. And so all of these GMs were circling the wagon. One one program, their head coach for the Buffalo Bills called me up, was on the phone for 45 minutes, Drew. Not one question, not one question was about his physical attributes. Not one question was about his delivery or his progression. Everything was about his DNA, who he was, what he was about, and the head coach said, you know, right now we're slotted to pick 12. I don't know if we can get to him. We're going to try like crazy. But he sounds like what we want. And that night when all the jockey was going around, I slammed my fist on the table when I heard the, the Bills were trading up for Josh Allen. And I looked at Josh, and I said, that's it. So that's it. That's something if somebody can figure out the Harvard MBA program could go out and make billions of dollars to find out what that competitive nature is. Yeah, I've said this many times. I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on broadcast. Um, it's the it's the thing I instilled uh, in my boys that I'm most proud of, and that is 
uh, a, a toughness, and that is a, a f- I will I will always, and I I know you're this way because I know you well enough that you'll take 25 or 45, give whatever the number is, chip on the shoulder guys over 25 or 45 pretty guys getting off the bus. Amen, every day and twice on Sunday. Uh, I lived it when we were at Nebraska, I lived it at NDSU, and living it at Wyoming. Yeah, and, and Josh, you know, epitomizes that. Were you at all, when, when it did come to physical stuff, were you at all concerned because – Again, Coach, you've been at this so long. Um, open in college typically is a lot different than open in the NFL, and accuracy is so important. And and you remember, you know, the narrative. Well, is he going to be accurate enough? Were you were you concerned? Um, I felt like he could improve on that. What I was concerned about was when they drafted him. I said he's still immature. I mean, he didn't even shave yet. Um, I said, don't play him as a rookie. Don't play him as a rookie. It's going to take a couple years. I was concerned about that. What has occurred was fundamentally he's improved, but when you talk to him, Drew, what was really, really improved, and you know, I, I had dinner with his offensive coordinator, and he said he's understanding situational football. He's understanding where things need to go. And uh, unlike the old days when he always told me Favre says touchdowns first, I'm seeing, you know what, he's understanding how the game can slow down. Now what has not changed is when he pulls that ball down, I mean, he's going to take off and he's got an S on his chest. When it's fourth down or he's got to throw a dart in the back of the end zone, Josh Allen is money. I'll tell you something, DBs understandably do not want to tackle him. You know what? I'd love to give some stories on this uh, on this interview. Unfortunately, they probably have to be bleep, bleep, bleep because uh, he is an ultra-competitive guy, and that will not change. I think he single-handedly, Craig, beat Colorado State in that inclement game. I believe it was in 18, his senior year, seven to, uh, I believe it was that year. Um, when he, you know, there was a borderline shot he took from a DB from from Colorado State, and he he was like a man possessed after that. Well, if you know, Coach Bobo was on the staff at that time as their head coach and had many great quarterbacks at Georgia, and he called me up. He said, "You know what happened?" Josh Allen said, "I'm gonna put that football team on my back, and I'm gonna win this game." And I remember the very play that you're talking about. There was about a half foot of snow out there on the field, and that just lit up everybody. It, it was different. And I have to tell you, um, I literally, I, one of my sons was at home watching the game on, on Sunday night with me, and we both twice jumped at, literally, and I don't do, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty low key unless, you know, I'm competing or something. I jumped off the couch on that fourth and 13 uh, on the seam route for a touchdown. And then later, you know, in the, it, 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 literally a minute and a half later when Mahomes did his thing, that was remarkable. And altogether, that may have been one of the greatest football games I've ever seen, Coach. You know, I've, I've heard many, many astute uh, football watchers Men who and men and women who've watched a lot of NFL have, have said the same thing. But I was on the couch having a slice of pizza with my my wife and said, "Don't do not count Josh Allen out. Don't count him out." I was jumping up and down. I felt like a, a proud father. I, I imagine you did. And you know what was interesting? I don't know if you saw it because uh, I'm not sure they they quite caught it at the end in the game broadcast, Coach, but. I saw it on social media, and Patrick Mahomes, because you know there's so many bodies on the field after the game. He right. he saw Josh, and he sprinted. You know the quarterbacks always get together. He sprinted like it looked like 40 yards, and and their embrace was not the normal hey mutual respect type of thing after a game. I think they both realized this game and those two performances will not soon be forgotten. No, you know what, and people are saying that those are the two young Lions that are going to make their mark in the NFL. You know, we've had uh, great players here in Denver like John Elway. You could go down the list of Peyton Manning. What you're seeing there is two young studs. They knew that they had just seen greatness. I know this. 
I sat down on my couch up there in Laramie, and I saw greatness in, in those two uh, right there. Uh, the future looks bright for Josh. Uh, it was a pleasure for me to get to know. His family still comes back to our games, Drew. Is that right? Uh, yeah, they come back to their to our games. He and another guy from, from Denver here, Andrew Wingert, uh, both of their parents were at our first game this year. They still tailgate in the same place. They love Wyoming. We're a family. And uh, uh, that's what stories are made about. Well, uh, Andrew uh, personified Cowboy Tough, uh, as did the uh, the guy you mentioned a short while ago who's still going, Logan Wilson. Chad, yeah, Logan Wilson. Chad is going to be the next guy. So all these listeners are out here on your podcast. If you want a place to come where, you know what, there are no distractions, uh, you're going to be built up, you're going to get your degree, and you're going to have a chance to play on a winning team and get in the NFL, look no further than Laramie, Wyoming. No, there, there's no question. There's a long list of guys that uh, that you have put in. It, there's a question I've, I always like to ask great coaches, and and that is about great coaches. Craig, is it is it a truism that great players make great coaches, or when you look and say from afar that guy's a great coach, what is it in your mind that allows you to say those words? Um, you know what? I, I first, I, I will tell you, great players make good coaches. I, I was a hell of a lot better offensive uh, genius when we had Josh Allen than we had some other guys. <laughs> so I'm just being real frank on that. I sure. do think uh, the, the the coaches that I have great, great um, respect and admiration for are the ones that know who they are. Um, you know, they're the icons in our profession. Uh, they stand tall as an oak tree. They do things right. Uh, they do not waver. They're flexible. They're humble, uh, but they know who they are. And unfortunately, there's some other colleagues I have out there that, you know, could be doing a lot of other professional things, and they're they're less than honest. Um, they're going to take shortcuts. Um, those guys get found out pretty fast. Uh, there's a group of guys out there that you know uh, who are the good guys. And this is what I told Coach Taylor at, at the, the Bengals. I said, you're one of the young, upcoming good guys. Uh, we want you to succeed. You know, it's interesting for me also because your fraternity is rather small, especially for someone like yourself who's been in it, you know, for four plus decades. Jay Norvell, and and you know, we talked about the transfer portal and you know, kids moving within conferences. Coach Norvell, who you've known a long time, moves long from time. yeah, moves from Reno, where you obviously did a terrific job, and now he's down the road, and, and you guys are arch rivals. Have you had a chance to either talk to him since the move, or what are your thoughts? Uh, kind of a combined question there. Well, you know what, that Norvell family is special to me. I had an opportunity to coach his brother when I was at uh, the University of Wisconsin, and I knew his father uh, and. Um, you know, Jay enjoys a really good national reputation. Uh, he and I have shared some offline conversations. Uh, you know, we were in a, a Zoom meeting as head coaches here. Uh, I have not called him. Uh, I texted him congratulating him. Uh, you know what? Uh, it'll be fun looking across the field uh, when we get ready to play the Rams. And then who's going to get that boot? Uh, he's going to get – I think he'll have a great appreciation of that rivalry and uh, so I wish him well, with the exception of one game. Yeah, I understand. And, and a lot of folks, I, I think, realize who follow Cowboy football, certainly, but live in these parts, you have done in the state of Colorado, uh, Craig, as good a job over the last, uh, you know, you're going into your ninth year, uh, over that period of time, as any coach anywhere. I mean, you have... Uh, also dug up some gems where maybe they were under-recruited. Well, Andrew Winger was, I, I can tell you that. I mean, Andrew Andrew was not offered by some of the schools in this area, and uh, he's having a heck of an NFL career. That list goes on and on. Chad Mooma is another guy. Uh, Chad, like I said, is going to be a top 60 pick. Uh, we believe in recruiting the old-fashioned way. I'm not saying that we're right, but you'll see me on a, on a sideline uh you know, at Grandview High School, uh, and I was there this year, and there's another young man that's coming our way. Um, you know what? The day that, that I quit going to a game on Friday night and grabbing a hot dog, 
uh, is the day that the whistle's probably going to come off my neck, and I got a lot of coaching in me still. Yeah, there you go. And I know you're down in Denver battling the snow as, uh, as you and I tape this uh, recruiting and looking ahead to uh, some 2023s. Hey, hey, Coach, it's always great to catch up. Um, I wish you guys nothing but continued success. Uh, I've always been an admirer of how you do things and, and certainly how the Cowboys play football, and it's, it's great catching up. Drew, we're always friends. Uh, always good to be on your show, and uh, best wishes to you. You know, Craig's a guy, you heard me talk about the perfect fit. And you know, I wasn't trying to kiss his ass or anything like that. It's not what I'm about. But it, it is a perfect fit because Craig's a defensive guy. He's a, he's a, he's a really warm guy, but he's, he's a tough guy. He believes in tough guy football. And you heard his describe, you know, cowboy tough. He's not just something we want, want to put on the back of a T-shirt. They play that way. And Josh Allen certainly personified that. So it is a perfect fit with the DNA of Craig Bowl and coaching football in Laramie, Wyoming, where oftentimes the weather is, shall we say, uncooperative or not suited to play football or even be outdoors. It's a perfect fit. And he continues to do a great job. You know, in the Mountain West Conference, just talking about the Mountain West, because last week we had uh, Jay Norvell on. You have you have great coaches all within you know a couple hour drive of the Denver metropolitan area. Let's not forget Troy Calhoun and the unbelievable run he's had down at the academy. I'm going to get Troy on. I haven't had him on yet. Um, big baseball fan, by the way, as well. Uh, and, and we talked about Jay Norvell, and I know it's his his opening act uh, in Fort Collins. But I already know he's a great coach. We know what he did at Nevada. We know his uh, long bit of success uh, in coaching as an assistant so a lot of good coaches uh in the college ranks up and down uh the i-25 corridor that'll do it till next week stay safe stay warm here this winter we appreciate uh your time check out my uh, dnvr friends patrick Lyons, dnvr rockies podcast have been all over the hall of fame stuff and um all of their uh, their good podcasts and good writing on all sports in the region. That's the DNBR gang. Talk to you next week, everyone. Take care.